So there are five strategies for managing concentrated stock. But the question remains, why do you even want to manage this individual stock? Well, the, the answer is because there's a lot of risk with holding one large position. The most frequent outcome for individual stocks is that over time, there is a very high likelihood that it not only underperforms the overall market, but that it actually goes down to zero. So one common strategy is you can sell it. You can just choose to sell it all right away, or you can sell it off over time, looking at maybe a three to five year window. That can yeah. make sense when you're thinking of maybe I'm going to have a income change over the next couple of years, some lower tax bracket. And so you might want to just piece it out over a couple of years to reduce that tax burden, because that's a big reason some people hold on to individual stock. They just don't want to pay the taxes. Yeah. So it's 23.8% is going to be the highest that you can pay, at least at yeah. the federal level, plus yep. any state taxes that, that you might be liable for. A lot of people don't want to sell it because they really want to avoid that. But they're ignoring yeah. all the other risks in terms of industry risk. There's going to be some type of government regulation risk that might drive this stock price down. But, you know, usually simple is better in some cases. And just simply selling the stock and just biting the tax bullet is usually the best strategy. Yeah, because as you said, federally, 23.8% yeah. is the highest, 20% capital gains rate, then a 3.8% net investment income tax. Right. But if you hold it, that could be 100%. Your stock could go yeah. down to zero. It doesn't feel likely to most people, but as you said, the highest likelihood of holding a stock for really long-term individual stock yes. is it's gonna underperform the market. So trying to weigh the pros and cons of paying 23.8% to get into a better portfolio makes sense for some people. And I think especially for people that have an in a concentrated position from company stock. If you have continual grants of your RSUs, you continue to save in the ESPP, you will continue to build up a concentrated position. And I think a lot of people in that position, yeah. it makes sense to sell some of it because you still are participating in the future growth. If you have future RSU grants that haven't invested yet, yeah. you're gonna still participate if the company does great. So it makes a lot of sense for that person, especially to look at, should you just sell some of it? pay the tax and get in a better portfolio. And just move on. Limit your downside to the taxes you pay, get in a better portfolio. Option two is gifting. There's yeah. a number of gifting strategies you can look at. So if you know exactly where you wanna actually gift your shares to, the direct one is just gonna be directly to that charity. So pick that charity of your choice and just start gifting it. However, if you are unsure and you want the tax break now, you can set up what's called a donor advised fund. Mm -hmm. And most brokerage firms, they handle these type of- A lot of them accounts. have it. Yep, exactly that. You would transfer your shares to a donor advised fund. It counts. As is giving to charity today because technically you no longer own it. So right. you get a tax deduction right away and now you can keep it invested and you can gift it later in life when you know where you want to give. You can give it to multiple charities. It can stay invested and grow. So say you've got $100,000 and it's a concentrated position mm -hmm. for you in Google stock. You could give it to a donor advice fund. It can stay invested in that fund and that charitable account for years and years. And then 10 years later, you can give it, but you will get that tax deduction. So giving to charity gives you this extra benefit, right? You you also don't pay the tax on the current tax basis you've got, and you actually get a charitable deduction. So that's a win-win for a lot of people. So the third way to actually gift shares is probably my favorite, and that's gifting to your kids or grandkids. A lot of people will set up a, an estate plan where they give their assets to their kids after they pass, but it's kind of nice actually giving away your assets and being able to see the joy and actually helping your kids out or grandkids out. So if you are an individual and you wanna give it, you can give up to $17,000 per year without any exclusion. But as a couple, it could go up to 34,000. So that's 17 times two. Yeah. So that's basically the, you can give 17K and there's not even tax reporting on it. No, it's just an annual exclusion. Yeah. Nobody pays taxes. That's the common misconception of, oh, if I give this stock to my kids, they're going to pay tax on it. 
Nope, no. they're not going to pay tax on it. So you can give that 17000 per person without even having to report anything of it. So that's a great thing to look at. Um, you can, of course, give more uh, without paying tax. It gets a little bit more complicated there, but it's a great option to look at giving to charities or your kids. So the third option for managing concentrated stock is going to be an option strategy. So you could either sell calls or you can buy puts, which really does limit not only the downside, so you have some downside protection on your stock position, but you also are limiting your upside as well. It's a strategy. popular thing people talk about. So let's say you have a stock that's $100 and you mm -hmm. want to hold it, you don't want to pay the taxes, but you're worried about it dropping really fast. You could do what's called buying puts, as you mentioned, and buying a put gives you the right to, to sell a stock at a predetermined price. price. Yeah. So you could buy a put that says, I get to sell this stock for $85. And let's say during that time period, it drops to 60, you still have the right to sell it for $85. That protects your downside risk, which as you mentioned, is the big risk to concentrated stock. What if this thing goes down? Yes. So buying a put protects you from that. However, it costs money. Yes. You pay a premium to do this. Yes. So it's a strategy that some people look at and it has a time period involved. So sometimes those puts will expire and now you just spend a lot of bunch of money for nothing. Only predetermined <laughs> protection that ran out. So the other option you mentioned, that's called that equity caller. That's when you buy puts and you sell calls. So selling calls is the opposite of buying puts. It gives someone else the right to buy the stock from you. And then you're obligated to actually sell that position for yep. that buyer. That but price. a lot of people will actually sell these calls to help fund the buying of the puts. Exactly. So it could be Break like a, a zero cost strategy for you, but depends upon where these options priced at. Yep, exactly. I think the equity caller, the buying put selling calls makes sense for somebody that is maybe thinking, hey, I'm retiring in a few years. My tax bracket's gonna really drop. I wanna get out of this stock, but right now my taxes, just it's just too much. It. I just wanna protect it and make yeah. sure I don't lose a bunch. It makes sense for that, but as you said, it gets complicated, it can get expensive. Yep. And there's no guarantee. And there's no guarantee. Strategy four, this is an exchange fund. So an exchange fund is a good option if you want to stay invested, but you want to diversify. So what you do is you take your concentrated stock and along with a bunch of other investors, you all put your concentrated stock into one fund that's managed by a brokerage. And in return, you get shares of that diversified stock portfolio. So if I have a million dollars of Amazon stock, put it in this fund, I will get a million dollar equivalent of this now diversified portfolio. So the beauty with something like this is that you're going to be invested with a bunch of different investors from different industries. You're going to be in a diversified pool. So thus it limits your your downside risk just mm -hmm. because they're the high the likelihood of all of these industries falling all at once is very very low also there's a seven-year lockup period for investing in one of these <laughs> a little painful and you need to be what's called a qualified purchaser which means you have to have at least five million dollars in investable assets to participate in something like this yeah so you're starting to talk about something that makes sense for somebody with a high net worth has mm -hmm. a lot of assets and can lock up this money now the other thing to remember is Whenever you do sell shares of this exchange fund, you still have your original cost basis. So it doesn't have some tax. magical tax strategy, but it does allow you to move from a concentrated position to a diversified one that you can hold for your lifetime if you want so to. So this is a strategy where you're more worried about the downside protection of a company and not so much as trying to lower your taxable yep. liability. You just want to diversify, but you want to stay invested. Makes sense for that. So the fifth strategy is what's called a stock protection plan. This is a little bit of a newer strategy. And essentially, this is best for somebody that wants to hold their individual stock, but doesn't want to limit the downside risk. 
So what happens is they trust is going to take 20 different investors. Each one's gonna have stock from 20 different industries. I'll put it into this trust. And what each one has to do is they have to pitch in 10% of the assets in cash. This is like a form of insurance of risk pooling where after a five-year window, any stock that's lost 20% or more, that 10% of cash you had to pitch in is gonna help fund to sort of almost make whole investors that lost money on their stock. So on top of that, there's also a 2% initial buy-in fee plus an ongoing 2% annual fee over the lifetime of this trust. So it is pretty expensive. Yeah, we're down 22% right away. And you don't get claim to that 10% cash value unless you lose at least 20% of your value. Yeah, so you can see how this is confusing, right? 20 yes. different investors, you all put a little bit of cash in. Yep. It's just like insurance. If we all pool our resources in insurance and the insurance company pays a claim, the stock protection plan will pay a claim. However, if you don't have an insurance claim or your stock doesn't go down, you get nothing. You put in that money, nothing ended up happening. Right. And as well with this, it doesn't solve the issue of a concentrated position. Now no. in a few years, you're still holding your stock. You still if it did well. It. Now what they're hoping is that there isn't a crash where all sectors happen at the same time. Because we can all clearly see the writing on the wall of the potential if of another 2008 in scenario, five years, it's a dot-com bubble. It's Something, a middle of like a COVID yeah. crash. Everybody has claims at the same time. Who knows you're what happens to the stock whole. protection plan? It might not be so protective <laughs> anymore. And yeah. you add the fees on top of it. It's a tricky one to see really exactly how this would work out, but it's interesting if this is you and you've got, you want to hold your stock, you it's want a little bit of protection out. and you're willing to pay yeah. this 10% cash and the fees to get that protection, it's worth looking at. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for watching. Again, my name is Ryan, this is Peter, and we run a financial advisory firm called Bull Oak Capital. If you want to learn more about how we help our clients achieve true financial independence, be sure to check out bulloakcapital.com.